Welcome back to the Pathway Podcast. In this week's episode, Homebuilders Family Ministry Director and Pathway Chief of Staff, Larry Fincher, will be exploring what the Bible says about wisdom in parenting. We're blessed that we have a growing community, but we have families that are growing. And, you know, hats off to these two families that wanted to dedicate their child. And, you know, when you think about baby dedication, actually it's a little more about the parents than the baby. Because what happened was those families were making a commitment that they wanted to raise those children by biblical principles. And, you know, that, that thrills me. Uh, you know, actually, this, this is, uh, is very biblical to do that. Uh, there's a set of verses over in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. And you remember the story about Hannah. Hannah was a, a lady that did not have children, and she prayed to God, please give me children, and I'll make a commitment to you. And let me read that to you. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. His name will be, he will be yours for his entire lifetime. And then it says, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. So, Blake, you and Mitchell, I'll leave it up to you whether you cut Tate's hair or Jasper alias Chippy, <laughs> cut their hair. But the fact is that you've dedicated those kids to the Lord, and I appreciate that. And when I knew that this was going to be baby dedication, I got to thinking about, well, what should I talk about, teach about, preach about? And I got to thinking, well, if, if it's about parents dedicating their children, you know, the, the normal, natural thing would be to talk about parenting. And so I want to talk with you a little about parenting. And, you know, this is an area of interest that Lorinda and I have. As you know, we're a blended family. Uh, I had a son and a daughter. And Lorinda had three daughters. And so when we got married, that's the blended family. And so we have ten kids. Now, we count the in-laws as our kids. And that may be a little different, but we consider them our kids. So we've got 10 kids, and we've got 19 grandkids. So we've got some experience, and some of it's good. <laughs> Those of you that have kids, you understand that, that, uh, you know, there's good times, there's bad times. But uh, then I got to thinking, how, how's the best way to approach this? And I thought, well, I'll just talk about parenting life hacks. And you're, you're familiar with a life hack, right? Uh, <clears throat> we'll put, put a definition up there. And a life hack is a systematic approach to changing your life. It goes beyond hope and hype and delivers step-by-step how-tos. In other words, it's sort of a neat little thing that you learn and, and uh, it works out great. But what I've learned is you need to be very cautious about the source of life hacks. Now, I heard this life hack once, and I thought this was really good, and it has to do with cast iron skillets. How many of you have cast iron skillets? Okay. I see more cast iron skillets in the more mature Christians than 
the younger Christians, but it said, here's a good way to clean your cast iron skillet. What you do is you take the cast iron skillet, you put it in your electric oven, lock it down, and hit oven clean. And so I did that. And guess what? It cleaned that cast iron skillet. All the gunk that was on that cast iron skillet came off. You know where it went? It was deposited on the, in the oven. And I spent hours, hours with a razor blade trying to scrape that gunky stuff off the inside of the window of the oven. So be cautious about life hacks. So I want to talk with you about some parenting life hacks, but I want you to understand this. It's not just based on our experience because that would not do you much good. But I want to give you some life hacks based on what God's Word says. And there's a verse I like, a couple of verses actually, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So what I want to do is share some <clears throat> life hacks based on scripture. And I sort of broke it down into four categories, sort of a general. And then loving, accepting your child, teaching your child, and disciplining your child. So uh, let me start out with sort of a general life hack. <clears throat> Starts out with you got to have your priorities right. We have a set of priorities in the family, and it's our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse, and our relationship with our kids. And when we get those out of whack, then it's going to cause problems because if we don't put our relationship with the Lord first, we're not going to have the strength that we need to be the husband or the wife we need to be, and we're sure not going to be able to be the parents that we need. And then... We have to understand what the purpose of parenting is. If you go over and look, and we won't go to that verse, but go look at it sometime over in the book of Malachi, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13 and 16, and it says that God formed marriage so that we could raise a godly seed. So the purpose of marriage is stewardship. In other words, God gives us that child to raise but then that child actually ultimately belongs to God. And so we need to keep that in mind. And what I've noticed over the last decade is there's sort of a movement from being families being Christ-centered to being child-centered. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is the focus is on the children and everything rotates around the children, schedules, everything else, rather than the child being a part of the planetary system revolving around Christ. Now, this sort of shows up in different ways. For example, one way is parents want to be their child's best friend. Now, let me tell you, your child doesn't need any more friends. They've got enough friends. They need a parent. They need someone to bring God's principles into their life. And then some parents want to make their children happy. In Malachi, it says, 
That's not your purpose. Your purpose is not to make your children happy, it's to make your children holy. In other words, teach them God's principles and application in their life. And the, the second <clears throat> parenting hack is parenting is short, make it count. There are no do-overs. Now that, if you let that sink in, then that, that's pretty serious. You don't have do-overs, and it's short. At best, you look at these two babies. You look at Tate, you look at Jasper. They've got maximum 18 years to instill biblical principles and values in that child. And it gets more serious. Studies have shown that a child acquires 50% of their knowledge by age 3, 75% of their knowledge by age 7. So when should you start getting serious on parenting? When that baby's born or maybe even before that baby's born. The point is this. The time to instill Christian values, the prime time is those younger years because that's when they're forming those values and they're forming what, they, what their thoughts are. And it's during that time a child really acquires or fails to acquire biblical principles and values. Now, one other thing to get you to think about. The person or persons your child spends the most time with is going to have the most impact on forming those values. Enough said. I'm just going to say choose wisely. You've got to. Now, that sort of general life hacks, let me talk with you a little bit about love and acceptance. Over in Psalms 127, verse 3, it says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are reward from Him. So God's given us a precious gift. He's given us children. And we have a responsibility. And what I've learned in that area is love and acceptance are the most basic needs of children. Your child needs to feel loved and accepted. Now... I'm going to make a statement, and then I want to clarify it a little bit. Loving is mandatory. Liking is transitional. You understand what I'm saying? Love. There's two types of love you'll find in the early New Testament Greek that are appropriate for parents and parent, that relationship between parents and child. The first one is agape, which is a love of commitment. It's doing what's best for that person no matter what the cost is to you. That's the love that keeps you from killing your kids. You've made a commitment to them. But then the other is phileo, which is that warm, fuzzy feeling. Now, it's okay. You're not always going to have a warm, fuzzy feeling toward your child. That's all right. As long as you have that commitment that agape. Because you see, you have to distinguish between the person and actions. You love that person, but you may not approve of those actions. And this becomes even more evident as your children grow older. 
that you love and commit to them no matter what. But then there's going to be some actions that you don't really appreciate. And there's going to be some times when you do a tag team and say, I've had enough, you take care of them. Because that phileo may not be there. But the commitment is what they need. And this is something that, that I've learned. Your child will never feel your love without first feeling your acceptance. And the very essence of acceptance is approval. I run into people all the time. There's probably some of you here today that you never felt the approval and acceptance of your parents. And when you don't do that, when you don't feel loved and accepted by your parents, there's always going to be that gnawing of, do I measure up? Am I good enough? The biggest gift you can give to your child is your love and your acceptance of them as a person. And, you know, here's a subtlety. You need to accept your child as God made them, not like you want them to be. And I've seen this played out on the ball field. I've actually seen at a football game of, you know, fourth and fifth graders, I saw a dad go down to the field, lean over the chain link fence, pick up his son by the shoulder pads and say, what are you doing? You're dancing around out there. Go hit somebody. Now, I know that happened because that was me. <laughs> and guess what? He was a good football player. But you see, the error I made was, this is what I wanted him to do and be. It's what God wants him to be. And whether your child is athletic or whether your child is, is more intellectual or whatever, it says, raise up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart. That should means how he's bent, how, what God gave them. And sort of a corollary of that is a child never outgrows their need for your acceptance and approval. Watch it when we dismiss here. Those kids will come out of the back and they'll come up with something colored or something that they made. And what do they want? They want to show it to you, and they want your approval. And wise as a parent, they will always say, that is awesome. That's the best one of those I have ever seen. You may not know what it is, and you hope that they don't ask you what it is, but you show them approval, and they need that. They need that starting at that age. And guess what? When they get to be teenagers, do you think teenagers need your approval? You're probably thinking, nah. Of all the ages, teenagers probably need approval more at that age than any other age because they're transitioning from values that you've given them to values they're going to accept and going to be a part of them. And so they need that approval and they need that acceptance. And what about adult children? Some of you have reached that stage. Some of you haven't. But guess what? Adult children need your approval. They need to know that, yes, you approve of 
what they're doing. Now, can you approve of everything they're doing? Probably not. But you focus on what you can approve. Now, here's something that uh, some of you won't understand until you get adult children. And it's this. Any unsolicited counsel to an adult child will always be considered criticism. Am I right, Al? You see, what happens when a child leaves home is they become their own person. Or at least you hope they do. Sometimes they come back and they bring people with them. You don't really want that. You want them to be on their own. But our position changes. We become, they're not under our direct authority anymore. They are under God's authority. And we can give counsel when they ask for it. And it's so tempting sometimes to give counsel when it's not asked for. But I can just about guarantee you, anytime you give unsolicited counsel, it's going to be considered criticism. So just get ready for that. Now let's switch over to teaching. There's a group of scriptures, and we're going to break it up into two pieces. It's over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, actually down through 9. But uh, <clears throat> let's sort of take the general to start with. It's your responsibility to teach your, child, your child, not the church, the school, or the government. Now, that in itself is something that is becoming more and more fuzzy. You know, the government wants to take over the raising of children. They want to determine things. But what God's Word says, I'm going to read it to you in a minute, is that the parent is responsible. It's not the church. It's not the school. It's not the government. Now, and who is it? Is it the father and the mother, or is it just the mother? It's the father and the mother. Guys, let me, let me step on your toes just a little bit. You are the spiritual leader in the family. And this is one area that I've seen, and I've seen this across this country. I've been able to teach on parenting nationally and internationally. And this is one thing that I find, and that is... More often than not, the spiritual training of the children is relegated to the mother, not the father. But it is your responsibility as a father to be the spiritual leader in teaching spiritual principles to your children. The mother, absolutely. Now, what about the church? What about the school? Absolutely. Use every resource you can use. We have an awesome you know, from infant to kids to fuse all the way up to thrive. We have an excellent system to help teach those biblical principles. But ultimately, it's the parent's responsibility. Now, let's sort of unpack some of those scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5, to teach your children, you must be qualified. Now, you're not qualified by the state. You're not qualified by any organization. You're qualified by what God's Word says. Let me read the first four and six. Listen, O Israel, this is the Lord your God, Lord our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. What's, what's going on here? This is Deuteronomy, the, the, sort of the, the second attempt at going into the promised land. And so Moses and Joshua set the people down and said, this is what God has for you. These are the principles. These are the ones you're to follow. If you follow them, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you're going to be cursed. And he sets them down at this point, and he says, this is what you're to do. These are your qualifications. And look at those qualifications. Number one, that you're to acknowledge God is Lord. And parents, you do that through your speech and through your actions to your kids that God is Lord and then you love the Lord. How do you do that? With your speech, with your actions. And then it says you're to have a familiarity with these principles. That means you need to have a familiarity with God's Word. That doesn't mean you have to have a degree from a seminary or that you have to be an expert, but that you need to have a familiarity with the Scripture. Now, how are you going to do that? You're going to have to get into the Word and learn it for yourself. When Jeremy stands up here, when Jack stands up here, when Mitchell stands up here, and when I stand up here, we can only give you a little bit. You're going to have to get into the Word yourself so that you can be familiar with God's principles. And then the last thing it says, that you are to be obedient to God's Word. We'll talk about that just a little more when we talk about how you teach. Let's drop down to the next set of verses there. It all not only says, here's, here's the principles, here's the qualifications you're to have, but here's how you are to do it. It says in verse 7 through 9, repeat them again and again to your children. What are you repeating? God's word. Talk with them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. What does that mean? When you're taking them to school, when you're picking them up from school, when you get them ready for bed, you're telling them these principles. And then it says, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Now that's strange, isn't it? The Hebrews had what's called a phylactery. And they would write scriptures on a little piece of paper. They'd roll them up and they'd tie them around their head. They'd tie them around their left arm so they'd be close to their heart. It was a reminder of what God's word was. And so you're telling them. And then it finally says, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, you make God's word be surrounding your kids. So what's the first way? You tell them. They need to hear from you what God's Word says, and they need to know why you believe that. That means you're probably going to have to read to them. The most effective way to teach is to model the right behavior. Now, I want to repeat this twice. You have to be what you want your child to become. You can't hope that they're going to be someone else if you're not modeling biblical principles and hope that they're going to model biblical principles. They're not going to do it. 
I can show you statistic after statistic what happens to kids after they leave the home based upon whether the parents, particularly the dad, models biblical principles. So you have to be what you want your child to become. That's a sobering thought, folks. Scares the heebie-jeebies out of me. Even now. And then the last way is that you form their environment. You say, how do we do that? Well, first, every child has an environment. Whether we want to admit it or not, they have an environment. It's either a haphazard environment formed by MTV and just everything you can think of, or it can be something that's structured, like bringing them to church, bringing them on Wednesday night, bringing them on Sunday morning, let that be a part of the environment, and in the home, let that be a part of the environment. I mean, what you have on your walls, what you, you know, the music you play, what you watch on TV, all of this is their environment, and you need to get your licks in early because that's when you're going to have the most impact. That's when it's crucial, it's critical to form that environment for the child. And I hear, parent, you know, I hear parents say, well, I just don't, you know, I'm just frustrated because they've got all this stuff on TV and they got this and that. Well, you know, the last time I checked, that TV had an on and an off. And whether you're streaming, you have choices. So you have more control than you think. You are the director of environmental protection for your kids. Now, let's look at, at the last category, discipline. Proverbs 29:17. It says, Discipline your children, and they will give you peace of mind, and they will make your heart glad. And there's an addendum to that, and other people will appreciate it also. Do you like being around an undisciplined child? You say, yeah, I sure don't, and it's mine. Well, it's your responsibility to discipline your children. Number one, discipline without relationship leads to rebellion. Josh McDowell said this years ago, and I found it to be so true. Discipline without relationship leads to rebellion. Now, what's, what am I talking about? That's why you have to love and accept your child, teach your child before you have the right, if you will, to discipline that child. Example, do you feel that you have the right to discipline other people's children? You may want to sometimes, but you don't have a right. They're not yours. But also, along with that comes a relationship. Influence is all about relationships. And you have to earn the right to discipline. Now, let, let me run, run one rabbit here. Blended families. We're a blended family. And... Our blending didn't come with children in the home. But still, the point is when a family is blended, that biological parent is the one that needs to do the discipline at the start. Why? Because the step-parent does not have the relationship at the start. 
Now, as that step-parent starts to develop the relationship with that child, then they earn the right to discipline. Because discipline without relationship leads to rebellion. Now, I find that most people, when you say discipline, they have the wrong idea. Discipline is not just about punishment, but it's actually the saving of the mind. There's a word in the Greek over in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Go look at that sometime. It says that God didn't give us a, a spirit of fear, but a sound mind. And that word is translated sophronismos, which is actually the word we use for discipline. So what is, what is discipline? It's more of a coaching and a training of what? Expectations that you have for that child. And you do that by administering consequences, positive and negative. We tend to focus more on thinking about discipline is, is administering negative consequences. I'm telling you that positive consequences can be as effective and sometimes even more effective than negative consequences. But but where does, where does this start? You say expectations. Well, their behavior, their manners, what you expect them to achieve, all of these things are laid out by the parents. Now, what happens if the parents themselves don't agree on expectations and consequences? Have you ever been played by your child? Children will go to the least common denominator. They know who to ask, Dad, what things to ask him about and what things to ask Mom about because they're different. So what you have to do before you can really coach and train your children is Mom and Dad have to have an agreement about what expectations are and what are the consequences. And then you communicate those expectations and you communicate positive and negative consequences to your kids. They need to know that. that they need to understand that. And, you know, along that line is never require what you're not willing to enforce. If you, do, if you have requirements you're not going to enforce, you're losing your credibility with the kid. They need to know it. They need to know what the consequences are, positive and negative. And then you carry out those positive and negative consequences. This is something that is an eye-opener, is that to discipline your child, you must be disciplined. I see parents all the time that they are not consistent, they're not disciplined, and they expect their children to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined to discipline your child. Now, here's a biggie. Action, not emotion, brings the right behavior. Now, I know you've seen at Walmart some parent go ballistic, and it might have been you. But the point is, action not emotion 
brings the right behavior. Let me give you an example. Suppose the Fayetteville or the Springdale police stood on the corner, and if people ran a red light or if they were speeding, they hollered and screamed at them. They didn't get in the car and pull them over and very politely get out and say, well, you know, you were speeding, so you're getting a ticket. But what if they did scream and holler at them? What do you think people would do? Do you think they'd stop? They'd circle the block and come back around just to get them to react again. Your kids will do the same thing to you. So you don't need the emotion. You just need, this is what the consequences were. These, you know, this is what we discussed. This is what it is. This is what we're going to do. And when do you do it? Every time. You've got to do that. You say what you're going to do, do what you say every time. And here's, here's another thing. Delayed obedience is disobedience. My recommendation is don't count to 10, to 3, or to 5. What happens if you tell your child, okay, it's time to go to bed, and they don't go to bed, and you say, okay, I'm going to count to 10. When are they going to go to bed? Maybe never, but more than likely it's when you get to 10. If they know they got to 10, that's when they're going to go. Why go through the agony and the anguish for them and you? It's just, this is what the rule is. This is what we're going to do. And if you don't, these are the consequences. You know, creativity counts tremendously. And the more creative you can be, the better off you'll be. Now, here's, here's the last one. And this is Lorinda's favorite. And that is... You can't put a child in an adult situation and expect them to make an adult decision. Now, how does that play out? Simply, that plays out is privileges equal responsibility. If a child is responsible, they can have more privileges. But you can't expect to give them more privileges than they can handle. You have to be able to give them privilege, whether it's curfew, whether it's spending money, uh, you know, whether it's use of their phone or whatever. You have to put it, if they can handle responsibility, give them more privilege. If they can't, you pull back privileges. Now, this same thing, you can't put a child in an adult situation. Uh, another thing, you can't, Reason with a three or four year old. They're not capable of reasoning. You know, there was a situation once. We were on vacation, I think it was in San Francisco. We were in a restaurant, and the next table over, there were two young parents on their hands and knees begging their son, who was about five years old, to come out from under the table. He wouldn't come out from under the table, and they didn't know what to do. So they were, here's two parents on their hands and knees begging that kid to come out from under the table. What I found interesting was that my kids were sitting there watching this. And they looked at that, and then they would look at me. And they would look at that, and they would look at me. And you could tell what they were thinking is, you know, you better get out from under that table before my dad comes over there. (laughs) 
Now, not that I was a harsh parent, but they knew what consequences were. And they thought everyone would go with that. Now, I've given you a lot. Basically, when I teach on parenting, it's six hours. So I've tried to cut it down to 35 minutes. But I want you to understand something. That's sort of the basis of all of this. You can't do this in your own strength. You absolutely cannot. It takes supernatural strength to do this. And that supernatural strength only comes from Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as the worship team comes up, I want you to understand that if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this is where it all starts. And what does that look like? It looks like at some point you came to understand that you were a sinner, that you could not live up to God's standard. And there was no way for you to establish that relationship. But then know that Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross for you to establish, to redeem you. Thank you.